0: Okay. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is the Innovative Schools podcast, and I'm your host, Robbie Lamb. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Mike Paget. Mike is an expert on working with students who have a variety of behavioral and mental wellness challenges. Mike has spent many years as a classroom teacher working with these students directly. He has also authored several books on these topics and currently spends his time traveling the country and training educators on best ways to help students who have autism Asperger's, oppositional defiant disorders, ADHD, and a whole variety of other diagnoses as well. We have worked with Mike to produce a 90-minute online training on how to best help students manage anxiety, and we are making that program available for free for all podcast listeners. If you'd like to take advantage of that training, please visit InnovativeSchoolsPodcast.com and click on the resources tab, and you will see that listed there. Finally, Mike will be speaking at many of our upcoming Innovative School Summits in Las Vegas, Atlanta, Orlando, and San Antonio. If you'd like some information on how to attend any of those, please visit InnovativeSchoolsSummit.com. I was interested to talk to you because I know you work with students who exhibit a variety of different behavioral and mental wellness challenges like Asperger's, autism, ADHD, things like that. And I know in particular, you, you know, you help students who are struggling with anxiety and, you know, with everything going on in the world today, there's a reason to be anxious on every TV station, on the front page of every newspaper. So I thought what a great time to speak to you about how to best manage anxiety, not only for students who may be typically struggle with extreme anxiety but to be quite frank i think all of us are experiencing anxiety in ways maybe we haven't experienced before and i've heard you present on anxiety before and one of the most interesting takeaways that i personally had was i've always thought of anxiety as being like a very negative emotion um, when i've ever when i've felt anxiety i sort of sometimes i felt embarrassed or ashamed that i'm feeling it but having heard you talk about this a couple times before you say that anxiety is not necessarily a bad thing. Is that right?
1: Oh, it's not a bad thing. In fact, if you didn't have anxiety, you'd probably be up a creek without a paddle, as one would say from my from my South Carolina background. You know, anxiety really is is hardwired into everybody. Uh, it is your brain's way of saying that you, you may be in danger or you may be at risk and you need to take, uh, take stock and figure out if there's something you need to be doing about that. Uh, you know when we talk about the brain um, the the oldest part of the human brain is is the limbic brain or sometimes referred to as the lizard brain it is the part of the brain that focuses on keeping you alive and with any perceived threat that part of the brain kicks into gear uh, and, it, and it causes you to do what you can uh, to keep yourself safe and uh, to preserve your your life Uh a couple of things that come straight out of that part of your brain are the fight and flight, uh, response system. And, and all of that's very normal. Um, I think anyone can quickly reflect on a moment when they felt anxious, uh, when they were worried about something and they felt that they were potentially in danger. Uh, and, and then they began to mobilize to figure out what to do about it. Interestingly, the, old part of our brain uh, primarily responds as though everything is a physical threat and everything is not a physical threat. Uh, mm. There are all kinds of threats. There are social threats. There are uh, academic threats. Uh, there certainly are physical threats, but the brain has kind of one way to, to start the response system and that it that's through the fight or flight thing. Uh, most of us with what I would call a, a healthy level of anxiety, uh, we use the the anxiety to heighten our awareness and to rationally begin to address whatever the concern is or the possible threat is. So anxiety is terrific. If you, if you don't have it, you, you are going to be in trouble.
0: But it can not be terrific when it sort of, instead of it being, it's kind of like a motivating factor, like I've got this project, do at work. And if I don't finish it, I'm going to get in trouble. That can kind of cause some anxiety with you, but in a good way, it can kind of motivate you to finish that thing on time and, and do a good job at it where it becomes too much is when it sort of becomes overwhelming and paralyzing, right? It cripples you from even being able to attempt to, to uh, take on the challenge because it gets overwhelming. So what causes, anxiety to kind of cross that tipping point.
1: Well, you know, it, that's an interesting reflection. An interesting question, Robbie. Um, people who try to figure out how much of this is hardwired into us would suggest that about half of your, I'll just call them your anxiety instincts or natural tools. About half of that comes straight out of your, your neurological makeup. Uh, it's genetics. Um, It's not always genetics, though. Sometimes you can experience um, uh, traumatic events or crisis moments in your life that cause your overall system to to jack up a notch. Uh, So you you can move from being um, sort of a, a rational response system to an irrational response system. I, you know, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that we are currently in a really strange period of time in our history with COVID-19 and that everybody is elevated in their anxiety uh, with the constant barrage of news that we get. Um, it, it's difficult not to be elevated in our anxiety. But when you step back fr- from it, um, anxiety should help you. Move into the present and into the future, and if it's if it's too extreme or too intense, um, then it gets in the way of you doing a good job of protecting yourself and of simply enjoying your life in the moment. But one of the things I wanted to just mention, you know, outside of the COVID nineteen thing, is a lot of the problems that classroom teachers, a lot of the challenges that classroom teachers deal with, uh, are disruptive and acting out types of challenges. Anxiety often is a hidden issue in a classroom Mm -hmm. and you can have students who are highly anxious to the point that it is disrupting only them and really not causing a problem to the teacher or to other students. Uh, So it's one of those things that, that leans towards the, the way you describe it is it's, it's an acting in type of disorder.
0: So if anxiety is an acting in disorder, like you're saying, where students kind of become quiet and maybe they may appear as being shy or something, how could a classroom teacher distinguish a student who's from just shy or maybe a little timid? How could they differentiate that from a student who's really experiencing an overwhelming amount of anxiety? How can they tell the difference?
1: Well, one of the advantages of being a teacher is you, with experience, you begin to know what, what all kids, you know pick an age all kids 12 years old are alike and you recognize the ones who are sort of outside of that bandwidth of, of responding and and engaging um, you need to ask yourself the question um, what could be going on with this kid so there there are several things you may may notice you may notice a student who uh, in your in your opinion as a teacher you you have confidence in their academic abilities, but they seem to be constantly uncomfortable when it comes to academics. Uh, They don't want to be called on. They put their head down. They don't want to be noticed. Uh, They resist participating. They don't want to answer questions. Uh, They can't seem to pay attention. They really give off a vibe of wanting to be left alone. Uh, And as a teacher, you might be thinking, well, I know the student is Capable of this information, uh, why is he or she not really responding? Well, that could be one example of a student who is whose um, baseline for anxiety is just significantly higher than most, so mm-hmm. that their their apprehension and their guardedness and their and their worry is is really dysfunctional. Uh, you also may notice kids who have. Um, A lot of difficulty engaging with other kids. Uh, uh, You use the term excessively shy. Um, Certainly there's a a continuum of shyness, you know, and, and we all fall somewhere on that from being extremely outgoing to being extremely shy, kind of a continuum. But some kids are just extremely uncomfortable when they're around others. Uh, They don't like being in large crowds, they don't like being in the hallway, they don't like being in the cafeteria, Uh, they are easily overwhelmed by too many people around them. They they are afraid that they're going to say something and get laughed at, and so they tend not to say anything. Uh, they, they just tend not to talk with classmates because they don't have confidence in what they say. And if they do talk with, with classmates, uh, they probably reflect later on and uh, criticize themselves for having said things that they think were stupid. So, so you will notice social discomfort as well. Uh, you also may notice a student who just has worries, just excessive worries. And it could be academic, like always afraid that they're not going to make an A or it could be don't want to go outside for recess because they're going to get their clothes dirty and they worry about that. They continuously ask questions. Is this going to be on the test? Uh, some kids, especially younger children, actually will display very, uh, infantile type behavior, crying and clinging and and having tantrums. Uh, and then kids who want to be perfect. They feel like everything they've got to do is perfect. And all of those are sort of immobilizing. Uh, you also will have kids who complain too often about some kind of physical problem. I've got a stomachache, I've got a headache, um, I don't feel feel well, can I go to the nurse? Um, just just too, too much of that. Uh, and then you have on the, sort of the acting out edge of anxiety, you have some kids who get uh, extremely defiant and disruptive, uh, refusing, overtly refusing when you ask them to do anything Uh, and they even to the point of getting angry when they feel like they're being pushed into a corner. So all of those could be indications of uh, something going on with the student that, that is in the, in the problem area of anxiety.
0: So on that note, if we do recognize that those we have one of those students in our, or some of those students in our class, what strategies do you recommend that teachers can use to help uh, combat the anxiety? I'm sure there's like a whole list of strategies, but, what would be like maybe your top three strategies educators could use with students who are struggling to manage their anxiety?
1: Well, I, you know, one of my favorite strategies is one called reframing, uh, and it's a strategy where you try to identify what on the surface level might be negative characteristics, but see if there is uh, potentially something positive within those characteristics. For example, uh, with students who have an issue with with being overly anxious. Uh, one of the words you might use is that um, they avoid involvement. Uh, well, if if you put yourself in the shoes of, of somebody who has been told why you avoiding your work, and then how about if you change the language and say, one of the things I know about you is you're very cautious. Before you do anything, you're very cautious. And so that, that's finding uh, a positive, a little bit of a skill uh, in the midst of what is um, an undesirable behavior. You don't want kids to avoid, but you do want them to be cautious. Mm-hmm. Uh, other examples, uh, students who refuse to work. Uh, well, if you sort of decide to, you're going to describe that as, uh, Johnny, the thing I really like about you is you think before you act. Well, that's putting a little bit of a positive spin, and it, and it helps Johnny say, yeah, I think before I act. Uh, but then it it's uh, more likely that Johnny will act uh, as opposed to simply uh, refusing. Um, we might might want to say that a student worries too much. Uh, well, if you're the student and somebody tells you you worry too much, that probably doesn't help a lot. But what what if you were to say something like, I really admire the way you you try to get really clear about what is expected before you step into something. So it's, it's, it's helping kids find a little bit of strength in the midst of their, uh, maybe I I would call it their natural personality. So reframing to me is one of the big tools that we can use as, as, as teachers.
0: And I imagine that could be very powerful. You know, if there's an aspect of a child's personality that perhaps they're often ridiculed for, or maybe even disciplined for in the classroom to be able to reframe that not only from the teacher's perspective, but more importantly for the student to allow themselves to sort of look proudly upon an aspect of their personality that perhaps maybe they've never been told they could be proud of that aspect.
1: I had, absolutely. And I think if you extend that idea, you know, one of the things that uh, most teachers would agree with is that we need to work really hard to see students' strengths and not just their weaknesses um, sometimes we don't do a good job of that uh, because the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. We easily see their weaknesses. But I, I think it's very powerful to be able to, to see the strengths that, uh, that all of your students have. And there are some unique strengths that kids with a, a more reflective and cautious personality now, I just modeled remodeling, of it, reframing, by the way, hmm. uh, kids who have that more cautious personality there, there's some strengths that they often have. They're often extremely compassionate. Uh, they're empathic of others. They're sensitive. Um, they often have uh, the ability to, to forgive others. Um, highly willing to forgive others. They, they often are highly observant. They're loyal, uh, And they understand others who have similar emotional sets that they have with with anxiety, for example. Working hard to see and call out the strengths of kids uh, is a a very influential tool in helping them be able to move to to more function and more happiness.
0: So that would be one strategy is maybe reframing the student behavior, not only in your own mind, but vocalizing that to the student and allowing them to reframe their own thought processes. Are there, What other strategies would you recommend a teacher use uh, with a student in their class who's struggling with anxiety?
1: Well, probably one of the first ones to to start with, um, you know, I, I didn't mention it first, but one of the most important things is you you need to have a relationship with that kid where they really, believe and feel that you are concerned about them that you like them that you uh, you are happy that they are there so that creating a very solid relationship is a really important thing to do uh, some kids are easier to, re- to relate to than others and generally the ones that are not easy to relate to are the ones we have to work harder uh, to develop that relationship with so uh, you know a couple of the uh, strategies that I use to to develop a relationship. There's one called the two-by-ten approach, uh, which means uh, you go to a student that perhaps has a high anxiety condition, perhaps is difficult to really relate to, uh, and you you have a two-minute conversation with them about anything, anything they're interested in. Uh, you do that day after day after day. And if you do it for a couple of weeks, you're going to find that you have a relationship and a connection to that kid where you're actually looking forward to seeing them. They were they are looking forward to seeing you and, and you have a relationship that wasn't there before. So the two by ten approach.
0: I could piggyback on that real quick, if you don't mind. Uh, one strategy that I've learned is um, to walk with a student around the school and something along the lines of, all right, we're going to walk around the school for five minutes. You can ask me any question you want about anything you want. I can ask you any question about anything I want, but we can't talk about school. We have to talk about interest outside of school. And I found that to be a just a great strategy to learn more about the kid, you know, outside of the academic setting, because that's where you can really grow those relationships and find some common areas that you might not realize you have with them.
1: That's, that's a great idea, and, and it's, it's uh, sort of an, an example of um, the two-by-ten approach in a way, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I like the, uh, the symbolism of getting out of the classroom because you're saying we're going to go into a, maybe a neutral space, the hallway, mm-hmm. and um, you can ask me any question, I can ask you any question, mm-hmm. uh, so I, that's a great idea, a great example of it.
0: And obviously you need to have a couple of parameters in there, maybe not ask any question, but you get my point. Uh, make sure it's outside, you know, a non-academic kind of conversation. In other words, on, I found that to be a great strategy to help grow relationships. So we've talked about, you know, some students are experiencing an overwhelming amount of anxiety, but again, all students are going to experience some anxiety, be it for a quiz or a presentation or, you know, getting uh, an assignment done, done on time, that type of thing. So, If we know all students are going to experience some level of anxiety at some point in their academic career and then their life after school, of course, I think it obviously would be beneficial for a teacher to educate the whole class on maybe strategies to just combat anxiety overall. So on that note, are there any strategies or ways that you recommend for a teacher to kind of talk to the whole class about anxiety and different strategies students can use to manage their own levels?
1: I'm going to respond to this in sort of a different way. I'm I'm going to to start with the uh, suggestion that one of the most important things that schools can do, of course, with families, is to help their students develop what we sometimes call the soft skills, uh, social-emotional learning types of skills. So social-emotional learning is a big buzzword these days, uh, but just a, a quick reflection on that. Uh, if you think about what it takes to be happy and successful uh, in adulthood, um, it, it has a lot to do with understanding and managing your own emotions, understanding the emotions of others and being able to cooperate and get along. All of those are the alleged soft skills. Uh, I would go so far as to say they're probably the most important things that we do. And, and families do that, and we do that as well. Um, one way to teach, I'll call it emotional intelligence, is to have focused lessons where you actually uh, talk about uh, different emotions and what it looks like and what it sounds like and you give examples of it. Um, One of the ways that I really prefer uh, is to simply incorporate social emotional learning into normal academics. Uh, Literature is a great space to reflect on the emotional landscape of the characters uh to perhaps pick out an emotion perhaps pick out the emotion of anxiety uh and see if your students can identify it in the characters of a story or in the characters of a movie uh and reflect on how that emotion how that emotion of anxiety impacted that character uh and then maybe even play with some ideas of uh what could be some different ways the character might have uh, handled that particular emotion. So I, I, you know, I I think it's really important to try to raise kids um, awareness of social emotional uh, skills uh, in ways that are not stigmatizing. And I, I think doing it for an entire classroom as a part of your, your normal routine uh, is just the way to go. Now, I mentioned literature as an example, but you could do the same thing in science. Uh, what if part of your science lesson was to, well, what pops in my mind is Thomas Edison. How many times did, did he fail before he invented a light bulb? Uh, and to talk about what must, must that have been like for Thomas Edison failing and failing and failing before he finally came up with a, with a success? Um, What were the feelings he might've had? Uh, Did he get frustrated? Do you think there were moments when he was anxious, he would never get there? So, so I, through those examples, I, I hope uh, it makes sense that life is full of, uh, examples to reflect on of, of anxiety, as well as all of the other emotions that we experience.
0: Yeah, those are great. I think, you know, teachers have so much on their plate, obviously. So to add another lesson plan to what they're already expected to teach can be, you know, somewhat overwhelming and, you know, even impossible for some educators, to you know, just to find time to fit that in. So to be able to combine some of these social emotional skills with the curriculum that they're already planning to teach is, it, it, that's a great idea. So you mentioned earlier how anxiety is an acting in disorder and, you know, I know there's a lot of self-talk involved in anxiety. So obviously it's great if a teacher can help that help reframe that student's behavior. And there's lots of benefits to that, but oftentimes anxiety is extremely isolating and, you know, you're the only one feeling what you're feeling and it can, you know, it can be very overwhelming. So, As a student is sort of in that place of overwhelming anxiety and it's full of negative self-talk, obviously it's great if a teacher can come in and help correct that thought, but do you have any suggestions on how things we can tell students about, you know, what can they tell themselves when they're feeling overwhelmed by anxiety?
1: Yeah, Robbie, that's a really important question. All of us have have self-talk. We have our own little stories in our heads that are telling us things uh, and, and in fact, uh, it's, it's a very powerful uh, p- uh, tool that we use. Uh, we we think about things, and uh, a lot of people who who are you know experts on on personalities will tell you that the way you think has a lot to do with the way you feel, and the way you feel has a lot to do with the way you behave. Hmm. And so, if you, for example, have the thought in your head, "There's no way I can do this. It's too hard," well. That that's going to lead you into an emotion of frustration and anxiety, and perhaps behaviors of resistance and refusal. Um, is it possible for us to help that student become aware? when he or she has one of those negative thoughts and maybe, maybe shift it a bit. Maybe mm-hmm. instead of saying, there's no way I can do this, it's too hard. Uh, is it possible we could help them say, well, I know it's tough, but I've studied and I'll, I'll make a go at it. You may have a student who begins to um, panic because of a storm outside. Uh, and they begin to uh, get highly anxious and maybe inappropriately anxious about it. Perhaps they've been in a terrible storm before, and it brings back all of those memories. Uh, So if we have a student who begins to uh, coach themselves to, to feel worse, if we could help them change their thinking to... Well, you know, when you have a storm, um, instead of thinking, oh, no, what can I do? I, I'm, I'm really in danger now. Uh, if you can calm yourself and change your thinking to what do we do when there's a storm? Is there a safer place for us to be? Can we move to that safer place? Uh, perhaps away from the windows, perhaps into a hallway, for example. So uh, the the idea of cognitive uh, behavioral change think changing your thoughts uh, is really an important way to help people uh, make better decisions about their behavior because it changes the way they feel, which helps them think more rationally and make uh, more effective decisions.
0: One thing I found in, in learning about anxiety and how to manage it is anxiety is, as you mentioned earlier, it's sort of forecasting a bad future for yourself. Right. And that can be very confusing and overwhelming. So instead of focusing on the confusion and the chaos and the overwhelming aspect of anxiety, if you can take the moment you're in or the thing that you're scared of and break it down into its smallest possible pieces, then all of a sudden you can manage each of those individual steps. So in the example you mentioned about a student being terrified of a thunderstorm if all you're focusing on is the thunderstorm and the possible tornado that can come and that I'm helpless in the face Mm -hmm. of this giant storm, what am I supposed to do? That's very overwhelming. Whereas if you can shift the thinking to, okay, what do I do in a thunderstorm? Well, I consult my plan. I go to the room that's designated for safety. You know, I consult a trusted adult, you know, you break that big, scary moment down into very small pieces and you walk through each one of those pieces it's a lot more calming to experience it that way than in the overwhelming way. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there are a couple of pieces that, that are involved in this. One of, one of the important things uh, just about anxiety in general is um, students may be wired uh, to have a, a certain level of base anxiety, but that whatever their baseline is, is highly influenced by watching others around them. So if you have adults who are displaying highly anxious behavior, it's gonna have a multiplying effect on students, uh, whatever the baseline is. So if you have an anxious student and then you have a teacher or a parent who is highly anxious uh, about some potential threat, uh, then it goes from bad to worse. Uh, so let me flip that around and just say it this way. It's really, really important for adults who are uh, managing a, a child's day, whether it's a parent or a teacher, it's really important for that adult to be able to keep check on their own emotions, to stay calm and make decisions that are as rational as
0: possible. So we're just about out of time today, but I know we touched on a couple strategies that, we, that teachers could use to help students who struggle with anxiety. I'm wondering if before we go, if you've got, one more recommendation on ways that we can best help students who are struggling to manage their anxiety.
1: Uh, yes, I would throw out the idea of mindfulness. Uh, mindfulness is, uh, typically associated with meditation practices. Um, you know, one of the, one of the ways we sometimes describe anxiety, uh, and we also describe, uh, depression mood disorders is we'll say that, uh, mood disorders or depression, are reflecting a lot on what has happened in the past and anxiety is reflecting excessively on what might happen in the future uh, as opposed to being present uh, in the moment uh, being involved with what is as opposed to what might be Uh, mindfulness practices uh, help people focus on the present Uh, one of the common uh, components of mindfulness is uh, breath control um, meditation practices. Uh, and and I, I would say that there's a lot of evidence that, um, that uh, mindfulness practices are helpful for minimizing anxiety, uh, for addressing trauma, for addressing uh, mood disorders uh, as well. Uh, but one of the, the little sticky points for teachers is you can't really coach your students in mindfulness practices unless you are a practitioner yourself. Uh, So it's something that I would encourage teachers to take on for their own health, but also for their own capacity to be able to share that with, with their students.
0: And you mentioned the power of just breathing exercises there. And, you know, I practice yoga and breathing is a big part of yoga, And it's interesting. I've, as I've been practicing, you know, for a couple of years now, the more I've learned about the breath, the more fascinating it is. You can really, it serves as a trigger to sort of force you to come into the present moment as you're becoming more and more your breath and inhaling and exhaling slowly, you have to focus on that breath. And so therefore you're not able to focus on your past or maybe something that went poorly during the day, you're not able to focus on some anxious thoughts that might be in the future, that breath forces you to be in the moment. So that's a great strategy. And um, there are many ways classroom teachers can incorporate mindfulness into the classroom. We do have a variety of resources about mindfulness that I will post on our website under the resources tab. So if you're interested in any more resources on mindfulness and how to incorporate that into your classroom, please check out our website. And lastly, you mentioned not being able to really instruct others on mindfulness unless you are a practitioner yourself. There are a variety of free apps online that I would recommend. Uh, One is called Calm and the other one is called Headspace. They're free on most app stores and um, they're a great introduction into mindfulness and uh, just a great resource for anyone who's interested in that. So, Mike, uh, thank you so much for your time today. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, Mike has a 90-minute in-depth training on anxiety where he's able to touch on the topic a lot more in-depth than we were able to do so here today. And we are making that training available for free for all podcast listeners. You can find that on our website, which is InnovativeSchoolsPodcast.com. And again, that will be listed under the resources tab. And we'll also post some more uh, or some of Mike's books on there as well. And also, as I mentioned, again, at the beginning of the show, Mike will be at many of our upcoming Innovative Schools Summits. You can find information about that at InnovativeSchoolsSummit.com. And lastly, I will say Mike does travel the country quite a bit, training educators on a variety of mental and behavioral wellness topics. And you can find some information on his upcoming dates at WiredSeminar.com. So thank you for, so much for tuning in. Mikey, thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you, Robbie. And thank you to the teachers who uh, are so incredibly important for their students. Uh, Teachers save kids' lives. Thank you so much for that work that you do.
0: So that wraps up today's show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you could, please take time to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or wherever it is you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. Also, if you have an idea for an upcoming episode or guest that you would like to hear us talk to, please visit InnovativeSchoolsPodcast.com and send us a message. We love to hear from our listeners and uh, we look forward to next time. Thank you so much.